I'd like to turn your attentions this morning to the 13th chapter of the Gospel of Luke. Luke chapter 13. chapter 13 starts off by saying there were present at that season some that told him of the Galileans whose blood Pilate had mingled with their sacrifices and Jesus answering said unto them suppose ye that these Galileans were sinners above all the Galileans because they suffered such things I tell you nay but except ye repent ye shall all likewise perish Or those eighteen upon whom the tower of Siloam fell and slew them, think ye that they were sinners above all men that dwelt in Jerusalem? I tell you, nay. But except ye repent, ye shall all likewise perish. He spake also this parable. A certain man had a fig tree planted in his vineyard, and he came and he sought fruit thereon and found none. Then said he to the dresser of his vineyard, Behold, these three years I come seeking fruit on the fig tree, and I find none, and find none. Cut it down, why cumbereth it the ground? And he answering said unto him, Lord, let it alone this year also till I I shall dig about it and dung it. And if it bear fruit, well. And if not, then after that thou shalt cut it down. We'll conclude there with our lesson in the 13th chapter of Luke. We'd like to try to speak this morning on the subject of repentance. And to understand true repentance for the church here and others, it's going to take some soul searching. So I asked you this morning as we try to, Lord will, uncover this topic of repentance that we consider ourselves and we consider our heart. I think it's very important individually and it is vitally important for the church that the church be in a repentant, not an impenitent state. This is a very important message. And it's been on my mind all week long. Usually I have several things on my mind, but this one has been on my mind all week. I had said some things in passing last Sunday in the services, and since that time concerning repentance, it, is, it, is, it has been on my mind, and I haven't been able to get it off. So let's, let's look at this doctrine of, of repentance. First of all, What is repentance? Well, repentance in its simplest form is a change of mind. Repentance means to turn around. To repent means to turn around. So, but we see that it's a change of mind. But what changes the mind 
deciphers whether it's true repentance or not. We can have a change of mind, but that doesn't mean it's a true repentance. We can have a change of mind uh, because through pragmatic reasoning, we can have a change of mind. In other words, what I'm saying is I may say something to somebody and wish that I didn't say it and have a change of mind and what I thought about that person or what I said about that person. That's pragmatic reasoning. So I may just, I may just be sorry myself and that's not true repentance. Um, true repentance is not sorry because you got caught. There are a lot of people in the penitentiary, penitentiary today that are sorry, uh, but they're sorry through a worldly reason. They're sorry because they got caught and they're going to be spending maybe the rest of their life or several years, whatever it may be, behind bars. And so they're sorry. And, and so we can see that in our own lives that we can be sorry about something that we do because it brings about a negative result in our lives and, and we feel bad that, that, we, that we did that. That's not true repentance. True repentance is, not all, is also not some kind of mystical feeling. It is not, true repentance is not a mystical feeling that, 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 that you just have this overwhelming feeling about things and, and, and then that brings about a true repentance. The Apostle Paul said in the seventh chapter of 2 Corinthians what true repentance is. He said, godly sorrow worketh repentance, not to be repented of, but the sorrow of this world worketh death. So again, we can have that pragmatic reasoning. We can have a repentance of this world. And he says that works death. But he said godly sorrow worketh repentance. It's a sorrow for God. When is the last time that your sins in your mind that you have thought that it was because of those sins that nailed Jesus Christ to the cross. See, a lot of times we say we want to repent and we want to do the right thing. And so what we do is we get up out of the bed, so to speak, and we say, I'm just going to start doing things right. I'm going to start doing things good. But there's no motivation there. The motivation is inward. The motivation is selfward. The motivation to do right and pleasing to God comes from a spirit of true repentance and, for, and, and begging forgiveness of sins. It, it is realizing in prayer, it is realizing in thought that it, was, that it is my deeds, it is my actions, it is my words that nailed my Savior to the cross. And that is a very real statement. And might I add, it is your actions, it is your deeds, it is your words, it is your thoughts that nailed the Savior to the cross. And every time we sin, it is not against man, it is against God. We sin against God. <coughs> 
Remember what David said in Psalms 51? In, in Psalms 51, when he was talking about, you know, the Psalms 51 is, is that great psalm of repentance, where he was repenting because of the things that he had done when, when the Lord sent uh, uh, Nathan to, to, to show his sins with Bathsheba and with Uriah. He said in the fourth verse, he said, Against thee, thee only, have I sinned and done this evil in thy sight. Against thee and thee only. Have I done this evil in thy sight? Any sin that we commit is against God. Isn't that what Joseph said when he was in Potiphar's house? With Potiphar's wife, he said, How can I do this great sin against God? And fled from there. How can I do this great sin against God? When we sin, we need to realize that we are offending God. That it is the Lord that has died for us. And we need to find that forgiveness in our lives to do those things. Not everybody has been, not everybody's brought to a place of repentance. First of all, how, how, do you, how do you find that repentance? It's the goodness of God. He said in the second chapter of Romans, it is, Know ye not that it is despisest thou the riches and the goodness and forbearance of God, not knowing that the goodness of God leadeth thee to repentance? It's the goodness of God that leads you to repentance. In the 12th chapter of Hebrews, we see that Esau searched for, looked for repentance with tears, but found none. Esau wasn't a child of God. Jacob have I loved, but Esau have I hated. Because he sold his birthright, he tried to find repentance, but he found none. God has to grant us that repentance. If we don't feel that repentantness in our heart, then we're impenitent. We're not repentive. You either repent or you're not repentant. There's no middle ground in, in the subject of repentance. You're either turning back to the Lord or you're not turning to the Lord. There's no half turns. You understand what I'm saying? How many of us, and I'm including myself in this, are in an impenitent state. Because we don't sit down, we don't think long enough and, and see that it is our sins that are against God. And we seek fellowship with God, do we not? We seek fellowship with God. And the only way we can have fellowship with God is to have forgiveness of our sins. And the only way that we can have forgiveness of our sins is to see that we're sinners and to see that our sins were directly against our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. He bore, his, he bore our sins in his, on the cross and on the tree. Took out the handwriting of ordinances that was against us, which was contrary to us and nailed it to the tree. Handwriting of ordinances was the law. It's talking about Jesus Christ. He fulfilled the law to a jot and a tittle. It was him that was nailed to the tree because of what we have done and because of what we do do, because of what we continue to do, and that is to sin in this life. To live a life uh, not looking to the Lord. Yes, we may, 
We may go on our hands and knees in, in prayer to God, begging God forgiveness, but in, that, in doing so, do we, do we feel repentative? Do we feel that we have offended God in what we have done? That's very important for a church, for the health of the church, that the church be in a, in a penitent state. Now when we talk about repent, repentance, there is a difference, though they're very close, of repentance and conversion. I said repentance is a change of mind through, not just a change of mind through pragmatic or mystical emotions or reasonings, but repentance is a change of mind through godly sorrow. And it's the goodness of God that leads thee to repentance. True repentance, that change of mind through godly sorrow, will affect your walk. And your walk is your conversion. You cannot be converted. True conversion comes about by true repentance. And true repentance will bring about a true conversion. It's how we walk in this life. I can't see your repentative heart but I can see the effects of it. I can see the effects of a person that is repenting because of their walk. You remember the Apostle Peter said in the third chapter of Acts, in the 19th verse, he says, Repent and be converted, that your sins may be blotted out when the times of, re of refreshing shall come from the Lord. Repent and be converted. So what we need, dear child of God, is we need repentance. And as I said, if we have true repentance, we'll have a desire to walk with God. We'll have a desire because we'll be in greater fellowship with God. That is true repentance. The Jews here in Luke, and we could go many other places in the gospel, were in an impenitent state. They were not in a state of repentance. You remember from Malachi to Matthew, there was some 400 years of silence that God was silent. And so what the Jews did is they distorted, they perverted the law of God and became self-righteous. And as a result, they were, they were impenitent. They didn't have any repentance. In Matthew Chapter 13, in Matthew 13 and verse 15, listen to what the Lord says. For this people's heart is waxed gross, and their ears are dull of hearing, and their eyes they have closed, lest at any time they should see with their eyes, and hear with their ears, and should understand with their heart, and I should be converted, and should be converted, and I should heal them. Understand, if they're going to be converted, they first have to be in a repentative, they first have to be in a penitent state. So when the Lord says, that lest they be converted, the Lord wasn't holding them back. They were already blind. These things had already happened to them. Their, their heart is, was waxed gross, their ears dull of hearing, and their eyes they have closed, 
lest at any time they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears and should understand with their hearts and should be converted and I should heal them. You see, if God brings somebody to repentance and they repent and are converted, then it is God's pleasure to bring about that conversion. But these Jews were not going to be bled to that place there because of the impenitent state that they were in over the 400 years of silence when God was silent to them. You see, the thing with the Jews is they believed in having fellowship with God. But they believed in obtaining that fellowship with God was by keeping the law. They didn't believe in keeping fellowship with God by repentance and begging forgiveness of sins and seeing that their sins were offensive, were directly against God, that they had sinned against God. What they were doing is they were trying to keep the law in order to obtain fellowship with God. And in its purest sense, that's true. The Lord said in the 15th chapter of John in the 10th verse, Whosoever keepeth my commandment shall abide in me, even as I have kept my Father's commandments, and abide in Him. Abiding is fellowship, is it not? In, in, an, in another place in John, uh, I like this one, John uh, 14 and 21. In John 14 and 21, he says, He that hath my commandments and keepeth them, he it is that loveth me. And he that loveth me shall be loved of my Father, and I will love him and will manifest myself to him. I will manifest myself to him if you keep my commandments. So in its purest sense, keeping God's commandment does bring us fellowship with the Lord. But, having a desire to keep the commandments of God is a product of repentance. Having a desire to follow the Lord, having a desire to do His will, is not what we need to do by just keeping the law. It's what we will do in the aspect of conversion. When we are converted, when we convert through true repentance, we are able then to have fellowship with God. So you see, they were getting the cart before the horse. They weren't looking at repentance and, and, and forgiveness of sins and then conversion and trying to keep the law of God. They were just trying to keep the law of God. Y'all don't let him steal your attention. Come on up here. Because this is important. So they believed in fellowship, having fellowship with God simply by the law. Now, what the Jews had is they had what are called gadders, G-A-D-E-R-S. In the Hebrew, gadders simply means an enclo- a fence that encloses something. Just like the fence that we have out here. Gadders, they had gadders. What they would do with the uh, with the what they would do with the Ten Commandments is they had gadders. 
around those. Not literal gathers. I want to explain this. They had, they had a barrier. They had a fence up so that you could not even get close to breaking the law. You see what I'm saying? Because that was their whole way of worship was law worship. And for every commandment of the Ten Commandments, historians and, and scholars have said that they had over 90 gadders for each commandment. 90, over 90, over 900 gadders for each commandment. They had rabbinical, rabbinical schools that people would take just to learn like you would you would you would go to a rabbinical school just to study the subject of cleanness and uncleanness and the gatters you know just in case to make sure that you didn't break the law see it was a it was set up as a law worship and then they had other rabbinical schools because some of those gatters overlapped other gatters and so they had to determine which one took precedence. You know, one had to have a priority over the other. So they were totally in a law worship service. Uh, you know, they would, they would take the subject of love thy neighbor as thyself. Something like that in the gather. What they would do instead of, uh, you know, Keeping the law versus, there's a difference in keeping the law versus breaking the law. The gather for love thy neighbor, they didn't want to break it. They weren't worried about keeping it. They didn't want to break it. So what they would do is they'd love their neighbor and hate everybody else that wasn't their neighbor. Because they felt righteous in doing so. And for the Pharisees, the only, uh, the only neighbors they had were Pharisees. So they diverted the law from trying to figure out how to love your neighbor to who is my neighbor. You see how that works? It's legalism. It's legalism. And legalism as well today. What it brought about for them was self-righteousness. And I want to tell you this morning that an impenitent heart will quickly fall into a self-righteous attitude, into a self-righteous way of living, judging others, looking at others, looking down at others when we're not in a penitent state. This is where the Jews were at. They were, they, were, they were not worried about keeping the law. They were just worried about not breaking the law and what could they do to, to keep from breaking the law. So those became a law unto themselves in the 15th chapter of Matthew So we can see now with this in the 8th chapter, or 15th chapter in the 8th verse. You see, I want you to see in the sense with the Jews how self-righteousness prevailed in that culture. It prevailed in that culture because they were more interested in keeping the law and trying to keep the law. Of course, we understand nobody can keep the law. You, you remember when Here's another gather. You remember when Jesus Christ and the disciples went and took some corn? Picked some corn and ate it on the Sabbath? 
Well, you see, they tore down some fences there. They they were tearing down some gathers. And and to break a and to break one of these fences, to tear down one of these fences was to the Jews was tantamount to uh, not doing was tantamount to breaking the commandments of God. And that's why they tried to rail on them on Jesus Christ and his disciples for picking corn because they were afraid, well if you go pick corn, to eat it, it may lead to harvesting and it may lead to grinding the corn and all those were a no-no in God's commandment on the Sabbath day. But they weren't breaking the Sabbath. They weren't breaking God's law. They were breaking the Jews' law. And he goes on to say here in this 15th chapter, in the 8th verse, This people draweth nigh unto me with their mouth and honoreth me with their lips. But their heart is far from me. Do you see how that can happen? That we can honor the Lord with our mouth and with our lips, but our hearts can be far from Him? But in vain, listen to this ninth verse, but in vain they do worship me, teaching for doctrines. This was their doctrines and it was in vain. He goes on to say, but in vain they do worship me, teaching for doctrines the commandments of men. The commandments of men, the gatters. It was vain worship. They were more worried about being self-righteous. They were just like that, uh, that uh, prayer over in the uh, 18th chapter of Luke. It says when the Lord says, and he spake this parable unto them. He spake this parable unto certain which trusted in themselves that they were righteous and despised others. Despised too, those that weren't their neighbors. But the Pharisees were righteous. He says, two men went up to a mountain, went up to into the temple to pray, the one a Pharisee and the other a publican. And the Pharisee stood and prayed thus with himself, God, I thank thee that I am not as other men are, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even as this publican. I'm I'm not any of these things. I'm certainly not like this publican. But let me tell you what I do do. I fast twice in the week I give tithes of all that I possess. Pretty pretty outstanding, isn't it? I mean, there's nothing wrong with that. Let's admit it. How do we know that the publican wasn't the same way? There's nothing wrong with these attributes. Those are good things. But what had he done with them? He had, he had taken those things and, and made a law in, in, into himself that he was righteous because of the things that he was doing. Just because you do good things doesn't mean it's wrong. But that doesn't mean you're righteous. What means you're righteous is our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ who bled for you on the cross. And to do good things, you know, I've had that thought before. Well, Lord, I've been... I've been pretty good this week. I'm just telling you the truth. It's an ungodly thought, but I've had that thought. I've 
I've been pretty good this week. Lord, I, you know, I'm, I'm looking for a blessing. I'm looking for something to come my way. You ever had that thought? You don't have to shake your head. Just keep it to yourself. But I have. How ungodly is that? That, that we have those kind of thoughts. That we begin to lift ourselves up. We begin to lift ourselves up because we're looking at ourselves and we're not looking at the Lord. We're in an impenitent state. We need repentance often, individually and as a church family. We need repentance often. It's a very sign of a healthy church. So he was bragging on the things that he did and the publican standing afar off would not so much as lift his eyes unto heaven doesn't say anything about what the publican, how good or how bad the publican was. That's not the point. The point is, is he was in a repentant state. This other one was in a self-righteous state. Nothing wrong with doing good. Nothing wrong with doing what this Pharisee has done. But that's not who you are. That's not what makes you. What makes you is Jesus Christ. And if you're able and you have the strength to do those things that are pleasing to God, it's because God has given you the ability. He has brought you to a place of repentance. I'm talking about true repentance. I'm not talking about, I'm just saying I'm going to turn over a leaf and, I, and I'm going to start acting better. I'm going to start being better to my name. That's not, that's, don't fool yourself with that. That won't work. What does work is when you get on your knees and you, and you pray to God and you confess your sins and you see that it was your sins that nailed our Savior to the cross. It's then that He, that he comes to us and we, and we have a desire to convert and do those things. Not bragging in ourselves when we do good. Not bragging in ourselves when we do those things that are pleasing to God. But smoting upon our breast as this, as this publican did and said, God be merciful to me, a sinner. That's all we know about him is he acknowledged his sins. Doesn't say anything about what he's done or what he hadn't done. I don't know. It's not given to us. You know, the church at Revelation, uh, the church at Ephesus, in the second chapter of Revelation, you remember what it says there? Unto the angel of the church of Ephesus write these things, saith, he that holdeth the seven stars in his right hand. Who, who are the seven stars in his right hand? The seven stars in his right hands are the, are the pastors of the, are the pastors of the seven churches of Asia. He says that holdeth the seven stars in her right hand who walketh in the midst of the seven golden candlesticks. The seven church, again, we're talking about walking in the light, where the light is in the seven churches of Asia. I know thy works. This is the Lord speaking. And thy labor and thy patience and how thou canst not bear them which are evil and hast tried them which say they are apostles and are not and hast found them liars and hast borne and hast patience and for my name's sake hast labored and hast not fainted not. You know, those are all good things, aren't they? Are they not? The church of Ephesus was, those are good things. There wasn't anything wrong with those things. But what was wrong is the Lord in the next verse, he says, but I have somewhat against you. After having done all these things, the Lord commending them, he says, you've left your first love. You've left your first love. 
Your heart, your mind, your knees are no longer at the foot of the cross. You've turned into, you've turned into legalists. You're more concerned about how you operate the church and that's important that we do that. Don't, don't misunderstand me. The Lord's commended the church at Ephesus for doing those things, but they had, done the most, they had left the most important thing. And that was their first love. He said, repent. He says, remember therefore from whence thou art fallen and repent and do the first works or else I will come unto thee quickly and will remove thy candlestick out of its place except thou repent. See, we at Mountain Home could do everything just right. We could do everything just right according to God's law. Well, we're, we're acting according to God's law and, and we should, don't get me wrong. There's a way that the church is to conduct itself and that's how we need to, and we need to follow God's principle of the church and how they're to conduct themselves in God's word. But let's don't leave our first love. Let's don't forget about Jesus Christ and Him crucified. Let's don't forget to have some quiet time with just me and the Lord. Some time that I can just sit down and I can bow my head. And you say, well, sometimes I do that and I just feel like God isn't there. Well, God's there. He may not have manifested His presence, but God's everywhere present, nowhere absent. God's there. He may not have manifested his presence to you. But you just keep praying. And you go back down on your knees again. You pray again. Seeking God. Begging God to bring you to that place of repentance. Seeking that godly sorrow in our, in our lives. I assure you if you continue to look and seek God and you see yourself for who you are, you will not see yourself above anybody else. You see yourself below everybody else. Apostle Paul said, I am less than the least of all saints. Paul was in a repentant state. I am less than the least of all saints. All saints. Jerusalem was an impenitent. Was impenitent. They were destroyed. The seven churches. Many of the churches in Asia that we, starting in the third chapter of Revelations, our second chapter in Revelations. Many of many of the churches of Asia were in a impenitent state. If you go and read it, many of them were in an impenitent state, and. Uh, those churches aren't there today. Doors have long since closed. Trust that we continue to maintain repentance in our lives. Repentance in the church. I said it's easy to be self-righteous in the church. It is. An institution like this, an, an organism, not an organization, an organism as the church, as lively stones, that's been around for a while is in great danger 
of becoming impenitent. It's a, great, it's a great danger of losing its first love. And so we need to be reminded and we need to go back to that. We need to go back to our first love. You know, perhaps somebody says, well, I give the most of anybody in the church. I give the most. There's that I. Or I am the most faithful to the church. I am here every Sunday that I can be here. Or I am the greatest blessing that the church has ever had. I, I, I. You know what that breeds? It doesn't breed repentance. It breeds self-righteousness. And when we're in that state, we begin to look at somebody that hasn't been to church and much longer than they should be. And I'm not saying that that's not an issue. I'm not saying that that's a problem. We need to be a church. Church members need to be to church every Sunday morning. And oftentimes there's nothing more discouraging for a pastor than to have people continually missing. But at the same time, it's not a reason to set yourself above somebody else and say, well, I'm here and you're not. They're missing out on the blessings of being in the Lord's house. And we need to pray for one another. But having these thoughts about I give, I do this, I do that, I, I do all these things, you see, it's just like the, the Pharisees' prayer, isn't it? They thought they were self-righteous within themselves. I, I want to go to one person, and, and that's the part of repentance that I wanted to look at today is is repenting from self-righteousness. I want to go to the book of Job before we close out. The book of Job. The Lord's got a lot of good things to say about Job. And they're true. And you know how I know they're true? Because God said so. <laughs> if God says so, it's true. I'm not going to question what God says. He said in the eighth verse of that first chapter, he said, The Lord said unto Satan, Hast thou considered my servant Job, that there is none like him in the earth, a perfect and an upright man. There's none like him in the earth. A perfect and an upright man, one that feareth God and escheweth evil. There's none like him. Great things were said of God about Job, weren't they? And there wasn't anything that it was, this was all true. Job was a good man. Because we read that. There's none like him. But Job had a problem. Just like that Pharisee over in the 18th chapter of Luke, he allowed those things to bring him to an impenitent state and brought him to a self-righteous state. It doesn't mean that he wasn't these things. Just like the church at Ephesus. Doesn't mean that they weren't doing good things. Doesn't mean Job wasn't doing good things. Doesn't mean God wasn't uh, uh, was not pleased with him. God was pleased with him here. There's none like him. But Job had a problem. Job was measuring himself with other people. You know, the apostle in the tenth chapter of Second Corinthians, in uh, in the tenth chapter of Second Corinthians, in about the twelfth verse. Uh, 2 Corinthians 10 and 12. 
For we dare not make ourselves of the number or compare ourselves with some that commend themselves, but they measuring themselves by themselves and comparing themselves among themselves are not wise. That's what I was just talking about. That's what brings about legalism, legalistic legalism in the church. That's what brings about an impenitent heart is you're comparing yourself with other people when we should be comparing ourselves by the standards of God. We should be, and when you compare yourself with the standards of God, you see you fall far short of what we ought to be. Far short. Even though Job was doing all these good things, listen to what they said about him in the, 30, in the 32nd chapter of Job. When the three miserable comforters we're there talking with him, and we're just going to bounce around Job here. I want to. I want to prove this point about Job and his self righteousness. So these three men, Job thirty two one. So these three men ceased to answer Job because he was righteous in his own eyes. You see, he'd done all these good things, and he was an upright man and eschewed evil, and and one that feareth God. But yet he became self-righteous in that. And you know, that's dangerous to have a self-righteous attitude because when you have a self-righteous attitude, you're impenitent. He said, moreover, he said in the 30, let's back up one. He said in, in chapter 31, verse 1, I made a covenant with my eyes. You see, you see this haughty spirit? I made a covenant with mine eyes. Why then should I think upon a maid? I made a covenant with my eyes. Why then should I think upon a maid? You see how self-righteous Job is here? He had a very high opinion of himself. In Job 29. I'm just going to hit the highlights in some of the things in Job chapter 29 to show uh, his high opinion of himself. He said in Job 29 and verse 8, The young men saw me and hid themselves, and the aged, this is Job talking, The young men saw me and hid themselves, and the aged arose and stood up. The princes refrained talking and laid their hand on their mouth. The nobles held their peace, and their tongue cleaved to the roof of their mouth. When the ear heard me, <laughs> then it blessed me. And when the eye saw me, it gave witness to me. Because I delivered the poor that cried and the fatherless and him that had none to help him. The blessing of him that was ready to perish came upon me and I caused the widow's heart to sing for joy. I put on righteousness and it clothed me. My judgment was as a robe and a diadem. I was eyes to the blind and feet was I to the lame. Goes on further to say in verse 21, and we're not going to read the whole chapter. Unto me men gave ear and waited and kept silence at my counsel. After my words they spake not again, and my speech dropped upon them. The last verse says, I chose out their way and sat chief. And dwelt as a king in the army, as one that comforteth the mourners. Isn't that something? You see where Job's at? Job's self-righteous. Job even 
And for, for four chapters, uh, he, he questions, he challenges, well, in, in verse 31, in verse 31, he challenges God. Not only does he brag about himself, but now he's bringing his arguments before God. He's challenging God to let God know how good Job is. And again, it's, it's not, there's nothing, the things that the Lord said about Job in that first chapter are true. But he became very self-righteous in that. He said in the 31st chapter, in the, second, in the third verse, I just want to read down a few. It's not destruction to the wicked and a strange punishment to the workers of iniquity. Doth not he see my ways and count all my steps? If I have walked with vanity or my foot have hasted to deceit, let me be weighed in an even balance that God may know mine integrity. If my step hath turned out of the way and mine heart walked after mine eyes, and if any blot hath cleaved to mine hands, then let me sow and let another eat. Yea, let my offspring be rooted out. If mine heart have been deceived by a woman, or if I have laid wait at my neighbor's door, then let my wife grind unto another and let others bow down upon her. For this is a heinous crime, yea, this is iniquity to be punished by the judges. Simply what he's saying is, Lord, my integrity, what have I done wrong? I've done everything right. He's full of self-righteousness. And then the Lord responds over in, over in Psalms uh, 38. I'm not Psalms 38, I'm sorry, Job. Job 38. The Lord takes Job to the woodshed. And these from 38 through the next uh, four, three or four chapters. He takes him to the woodshed and straightens old Job out. He said in the 38th chapter, when the Lord answered Job out of the whirlwind and said, Who is this that darkeneth counsel by words without knowledge? Gird up now thy loins like a man, for I will demand of thee and answer thou me. Where wast thou when I laid the foundation of the earth? Declare if thou hast understanding. Now, I'm not going to read all the way through this, he said in the 40th chapter, in the 6th verse, Then answered the Lord unto Job out of the whirlwind and said, Gird up thy loins like a man, I will demand of thee and declare unto me, and declare thou unto me, Wilt thou also disannul my judgment? Wilt thou condemn me that thou mayest be righteous? So for some four chapters, the Lord straightens out old Job. And before we begin to cast a pharisaical finger at Job, what we need to do is consider ourselves. Because it's easy for us to see ourselves and compare ourselves with others. But that's not what we're called to do, brothers and sisters, in the church or anywhere else. Certainly not in the church. A healthy church is brought about by repentance.
by true repentance. You want this church to be healthy, to grow. It's having that faith through repentance in God. It's trusting in the Lord. It's having that true repentance, that true godly sorrow, and being and converting ourselves through that repentance to a life that is better pleasing to God, not judging others. Because we see ourselves as better as somebody. Because we're not. But comparing yourselves with God. Job finally came to the place where he came, where he had a repentant heart. Towards the end, in that last chapter, in the fifth verse, he said, I have heard of thee by the hearing of the ear. You see, we could all say that. Oh, I, I go to church every Sunday. I, I've heard of him by the hearing of the ear. But there's something different with Job now. He said, I've heard of thee by the hearing of the ear, but now mine eye seeth thee. What's that eye? It's just a singular eye. He didn't say eyes. He says, but now mine eye seeth thee. He's talking about that eye of faith. Looking to the Lord. I've heard of thee by the hearing of the ear, but now mine eye seeth thee. Wherefore, what is the result? I abhor myself. He doesn't see himself so righteous anymore. He says, I abhor myself and repent in dust and ashes. You see, that's what true repentance will bring about. True repentance will bring about seeing the Lord for who the Lord is by faith. And seeing how far short we've come in our lives to, to, uh, to, as far as being sinless or being righteous. The only reason that any one of us today are righteous is not our righteousness, it's Jesus Christ's righteousness. You're, you're righteous today not because of what you've done, not because of what you said, not... Not because of what you think. You're righteous because of Jesus Christ. He's the one that has made you righteous. All of our righteousnesses are as filthy rags. We have none of ourselves. And yet man in his righteous state, I'm talking about in his imputed righteousness, will be so bold, and I'm including myself, will be so bold as to judge other people. When it's only by the grace of God that we are where we are. And it's only by the grace of God that we are who we are. That is, children of God. And that we ought to look to one another. Going back to this, over in the 13th chapter of Luke. Suppose ye that these Galileans were sinners above all the Galileans because they suffered such things? The self-righteous person would say, yeah. Yeah, they, they suffered that because they were sinners. He says, I tell you nay, but except you repent, you shall all likewise perish. Are those 18 upon whom the tower of Siloam fell and slew them, think ye that they were sinners above all men that dwelt in Jerusalem? I want to tell you, I've, I've heard more than once self-righteous people, some terrible catastrophe happen. And self-righteous people say, well, that's the judgment of God because they're such sinners. 
That was the judgment of God. I'm not saying whether it was or I'm not God. But I'm telling you that's an ungodly way to look at it. I remember when Katrina went, went through uh, down, down south there. When Katrina tore up the country down south. I can remember people everywhere saying, well, that's an ungodly place. That was, that was judgment that God sent upon them. When somebody dies and they haven't lived the, the perfect life that you think they ought to have lived, it's easy to say, well, that's the judgment of God. I can remember when my brother was sick with his cancer. There were members of the church, not this church, members of the Primitive Baptist Church would come to me and say, if Kirby would just repent, the Lord would take that away. And that's why he's got that because he's in an impenitent state. Needless to say, that didn't bode well with me. People will do that. They blame. They, they say, well, you just got it coming to you. You think they're greater sinners because they've suffered such things? The Lord says, nay. Except thou repent. You can also likewise perish. Now, I'm not saying that they perish because they were impenitent. He doesn't give us that. He doesn't tell us that. He doesn't even tell us that He caused that. Those things to happen. He just says unless you repent, we can perish in this life. Having an impenitent heart. The Jews did. The churches of Asia did. He goes on to say, a certain man had a fig tree planted in his vineyard. And he came and sought fruit thereon and found none. Then said he to the dresser of his vineyard, Behold, these three years I come seeking fruit on the tree and find none. Cut it down, why cumbereth it the ground? And he answering said unto him, Lord, let it alone this year also till I shall dig about it. The Lord is just simply saying here that He gives us a space of repentance. He gives us a space of repentance. Gives us opportunity to repent. God bless you. I appreciate the time.